uh, this is what we wanted to do. We want to start off. The, the, the title of the message today is Hosanna. And <clears throat> it's real interesting because you remember last week what I did? What was the title of the message? Oh, come on, come on. Well, the message was entitled, What You Sow, Your Children Will Reap. You remember that? Okay, what you sow, your children will reap. And, and you know, we, we try to do some object lessons and things like that. And, and of course, you can use these things with your children at home. And I said, well, you think these things, these, these seeds going to grow and go, grow right now? You know, well, we knew, we knew that life is in the seed. And so I wanted to show you uh, what happened while you were gone last week. Okay, you remember the seeds? And you know, I, and you said, well, ha, 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 he switched it up. He had something already growing. No, I didn't have anything already growing. This is the exact same uh, little thing I had, uh, and these are, the seeds are still there, but life is in the seed. You understand that life is also in the Word of God. Life is in it. As you sow the Word of God, it's going to grow, and it's going to grow exactly the way God intended it for growth, because he sent his Word, and it's going to prosper into where he sent it. So I just wanted to show you that actually... What you sow, your children will reap. So that was just an object lesson. Uh, and you can, your mothers, you can do that at home uh, very easily. And um, Hosanna, the title of the message, Hosanna. It's an exciting time of year. Uh, this word means save now or save us. It, 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 it um, gradually moved from a uh, prayer. It's like a, a cry for help, a, a prayer for help, for God to help. And then it moved into, because of the uh, liturgy in the, in the church, uh, uh, for the church in the wilderness and, and, the, and the people going towards offerings and things like that, sacrificial offerings, uh, they were waving palm branches called hosannas. They were waving those uh, coming to, at a major feast now, coming to uh, present their offering, and they would just pro- be proclaiming. And shouting out Psalm 1, 18, 25. Let's turn there. Let's start there. Psalm 118, 25. We're going to start at 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner stone. And we know that stone which they rejected, which they're talking about Jesus, the Messiah. 23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. 24, this is a day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, this is what they were proclaiming and shouting with their hosannas waving, verse 25, O Lord, do save. We beseech you. Now, do save, of course, I said the meaning of a hosanna was save us. So they are waving their palm branches, and they are saying hosanna, going to the uh, uh, altar, sacrificial altar. They are doing this. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. 
Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Now, this is a psalm that they recited, of course, during the major feast. And I wanted to start that way and then come back to this area because this is the reason why we were teaching a series on children because I could have stopped in our four-part series we did uh, on relationships tune-up. Remember we did that, a four-part message. And it was just impressed upon me that I needed to go further into Ephesians chapter 6 and start talking about the children because the children, they are the next generation. If we don't impart to our children which God died for also. He died for the sins of the whole world, didn't he not? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we know our children are part of it whosoever. And that's what Israel did not do a lot of times. They just did not pass it on to another generation. They didn't do it. And so therefore, it was a whole generation, like after Joshua and the elders that were uh, was with Joshua, uh, died. There's a group of uh, people, Israel, who did not know God. They did not know God. We're not going to let that happen because we're going to impart to our children. I don't care if you don't have children or not, like we said, you're going to impart because we impart by our lifestyle. We impart, impart by what we do. We impart by where we go. We just impart everything uh, because we have eyes watching us. You remember that was the message that we started off with. It's very important for that to happen. I wanted to start off when we're talking about training children. You remember we talked about all the different things you can teach your children. But now we want to talk today. And in, in that part of the message, we'll, we need to have a method of doing this. How are you going to train your children? Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 22. How are you going to do that? Now, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, let's start with that word, train your child. That train is uh, over and over and over and over and over again. I guess it's like uh, if you were to, maybe some of you are old enough probably to remember the older people who, who would be uh, sitting on a, on, on a little rocking chair or something. They'll have a stick. They'll have a little knife, and they'll be, what were they doing? Whittling on this. See, some of you are old enough. Yeah, they'll be whittling on this stick. And all they'll be doing is just, just whittling on the stick, just whittling on the stick. And I just wonder what he's trying to do. He's not making an arrow. He's, he's not making a knife. What is he doing? They're just, you know, whittling and whittling, spending time doing that. That's what the word train actually means. The word train means to, to you're just going to whittle it away, just whittle it away. I've started to bring another uh, visual, which I'm going to give you a word picture. Uh, that's a knife sharpener. Uh, most of you know what a knife sharpener is. Uh, our particular one is part of a can opener also, and uh, you put the knife in the back of it. <laughs> it is. <laughs> The can opens in front and the knife opens in the back. Uh, but, it, but what it is is that you put the knife in this little slot and you cut it on and it's zzz, and you just go to my, You know what I mean? You, you don't know what I mean. 
Joanne looked at me like, man, you, you don't have no knife sharpener. Yes, I do. I have a knife sharpener. And, and it's zzz, 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 like that. And it's sharpening the edges. That's what we have to do with our children. That's what the word train means. You, you're whittling away. You, you're just uh, uh, sharpening it, sharpening it, sharpening it. It's an over and over again process. And really what, what we're trying to do is to uh, get our children so that they are not going to be of this world. Even though in the, they're in the world, they're not going to be of this world. Because this world, as we read in other parts of the body, um, like Ecclesiastes, it's just vanity. Vanity. Everything is worth vanity. So you say, well, how are we going to get them out of that? I, my little child, she's so sweet and he's so sweet, they're not going to be that way anyway. Well, let me tell you, I don't want to alarm you, but the word of God is true, isn't it? <laughs> um, let's look at 4.10. Let me see, uh, Proverbs 4.10 probably may help us just a, a little bit in that. In Proverbs 4.10, it would probably tell us what we're supposed to be doing as far as train our children. Hear my son and, ex- and accept my sayings. And this is wisdom talking now. Because Proverbs is, is picturing wisdom versus foolishness. Accept my sayings and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. You remember in Proverbs chapter 22, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And there, there are teachings on that, and many people tell you, well, uh, well what it means in that, that verse is that you train a child in his bent or her bent, uh, their personality, the way they tend to want to go. You train them in that way, and uh, when they're old, they're not apart from it. Well, there's some truth to that, but this is not what uh, this necessarily is saying here. Uh, you want to train the child up in God's way, okay, in God's way, because that's the way that he should go. That's the way he, she should go, in God's way, because that's what it says here. It says that I have directed you in the way of wisdom. So we have to train them up in the way of wisdom, and it says I have led you in upright paths. And that's what we have to do. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. If you run, you will not stumble. And if we don't train them in the word of God, if we just try to train them up the the way their personality is and the way they are, we're going to take in consideration those things. But the word of God is the instrument we're using to whittle, to shopping. You may say, well, I understand, but I still think my little one is so sweet and that... um, they don't need all that. You know, they just need to, for me to be nice and gentle with them. They do need for you to be nice and gentle with them. But if you look at Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, you understand what God says here, that even though your little one is so beautiful, they are so nice, they are so tender, and nothing ever comes out of their mouth but, but just nice, upright things. It says that foolishness is bound, verse 15, 22, is found, is bound, in the, up in the heart of a child. Now, what does bound mean? Does it mean that it's just, it's just uh, there and it's going to fall off if the child moves a little too quick? It's bound in the heart of a child. Now, what's going to drive it out? 
Well, you're going to have to whittle. You're going to have to use word. You're going to have to use discipline, aren't you? Okay. Well, discipline, we told you, is matter. It's just training, isn't it? Discipline is training. We're going to train them. We're going to train them. We're going to train them. We're going to whittle. We're going to whittle. We're going to sharpen. We're going to sharpen because we're giving them discipline. Okay. And that's what we have to do. And you, you, I know you say, well, well, that's talking about the rod of, the rod of discipline. See, I'm not, I don't believe in spanking my children. Well, don't, don't spank them then. It's all right. It's all right. This is the word of God. So you, you do what you want to do. I'm telling you what the word of God says. I think the word of God is alive. I think God knows how to work with his people. Okay, let's go to Jeremiah 17 because I, I see some of you. I see some of you, you know, uh, uh, like that little one you're holding there. You know, you, you know, so, man, she's so sweet. She's, so, she's not, uh, she doesn't have, foolishness is not bound in her heart. I can tell you that. But in verse 9 and 10, it says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. The King James would say wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. What is in our heart, we tend to do. And, and they'll tell you that in the New Testament. That everything evil, everything that's evil that we can do is in the heart. It's going to come out of the heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. So I'm telling you that we have to, we have to get this heart pure. And the only thing that's going to pure it is the Holy Spirit leading us, guiding us with this word of God in us. We won't sin against God. Let's look at um, 5 through 8 because that's what we want to teach our children. Thus says the Lord, and of course we have to have it in our heart, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, who makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Now do we know that that's what, that's what we tend to do if we don't whittle the word of God in our children, if we don't demonstrate it with, with our lives and before our children, if we who are single don't uh, model it when the children are around you, if you're not modeling it, if they are hearing something from their parents, oh, guess what such and such, such did, you know? The children are hearing these things. They are saying that, you know, maybe this thing doesn't work. Because this person been sitting up in church, this person, you know, quoting a scripture, and that's why I knew a person who, they, they knew more scripture than, than, I mean, they know the scripture. They could quote the scripture. They have these, these quoting cars, rehearsal cars in their pocket. When they stop at a traffic light that's red, they'll get out a car and, and keep reviewing scripture and still sin, 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 sin. And I'm going to tell you, our people, our young people are watching us. And it's important for us to, to model the word of God because they're going to hear about us. And we don't want to fall and be an example uh, of that because we're going to keep ourselves surrounded by men and women of God who are going to be watching us, who's going to be telling us, hey, is that what you just said? That's, 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 not, that's not good. You need, you, that, that's not the word of God. That what you just did? Come on, that, that's not the word of God. We need it because if, if, if we don't, we can all, it's none of us that, that is so above um, anybody else that we can't fall. 
None of us. So we need this word. We need to stay in it constantly. We need uh, each other to help remind us that, hey, we, we, you know, we're not all that. You see? I don't care how long that you've been saved. It really doesn't matter. We can all fail. Then it says that blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He'll be like a tree planted by the water that extends his roots by the stream. And he will not fear when heat comes, but his leaves will be green. And he will, be, he will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. My goodness gracious. That's what we want to train our children in. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's turn now. That's why we're celebrating today, next week, this season of the year. Because Jesus paid a price for our souls. Verse 6 starts, these words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. So even though you may be sitting here and you don't have any children, it's like Elder John at one time, he was sitting, he didn't have any children, didn't have a wife, he was, he was single. Uh, but these words still was for him. And now he has a wife, he has children, and this will be the same thing whether your children are uh, gone and grown and whatnot or whether you are single. It really doesn't matter. These words today I'm commanding you to be in your heart. Then it says you're going to teach them. And that teaching is over and over again because it says teach them diligently to your sons and it means daughters also. And shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. It means all the time. You got to talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, demonstrate it, demonstrate it, demonstrate it. That's why in, in this uh, particular church we, we love for uh, our teachers who are teaching our children uh, get the word in, get the word in, get the word in because it's supporting you. That's all it's doing, supporting you. And also, when we have people come as guests, they might not even know the Lord, but their children go back there. Their children, they hear about the Lord, they start telling their parents about the Lord, and then the parents want to start coming to church because their kids want to come to church, and after a while, they get saved. We've had that happen. So I praise God for that. Uh, one of the things we have going that you hear part of, uh, let me have uh, Emily and Celeste come up, is that like American Heritage Girls. I was so excited when I uh, heard about the, the good things that, the, that they, were, they were doing. It's, it's so marvelous to hear about your reading of scripture. You can come on up here so people can see you and throw tomatoes at you. Come on up. <laughs> You all okay? All right. Good. Well, uh, you, you heard Deidre say that um, the American Heritage Girls, they had a, a read-a-thon, right? A read-a-thon. And um, it was so exciting when I heard the good news. I heard the good news that you all won the read-a-thon. I said, give them a hand. I said, whoo, this is cool, you know? This is cool. So um, how many scriptures did you read? Um, I'll have many verses. 3,076. Okay. My goodness gracious. Woo! Isn't that great? Give a hand, see? Okay. How, how many did you read? 
3,302. Wow, give him a hand. Woo, that is awesome, isn't it? Now, this is, now, now, now I know that I, I talked to your parents last night, and they were telling me. I said, well, how did she read all these verses? What was she doing? You know, tell, tell us how, how you did this thing. You, you probably, you know, up all night. What, what did you do? Well, <laughs> I didn't really have time because of school and stuff, so I had to wake up early, mm-hmm. earlier than I usually did. What time did you wake up? 5.30. My goodness gracious, come on. 5.30. This is a teenager now. This is a teenager, 13 years old. Are you, are you 13? 13 years old, getting up at 5.30 in the morning to read a scripture. Isn't that great? Now, suppose she would be a night person. She's not a morning person. But see, the goal was to, it was a challenge, wasn't it? It was really, when did you do yours, uh, uh, Emily? Because you read um, 3,300 something. Huh? Yeah, every day we, uh, for school we have a devotion time, mm-hmm. and so Mom would uh, let us sit during that hour or so and read mm-hmm. for our reading. Okay. Now, okay. Now, now, did you all remember that uh, hour? Now, do you remember that we said that if you want to read the Bible, that uh, in finishing 90 days, you could read an hour a day? And you get through with it. Do you know that uh, they read, it's, it's approximately 3,171 uh, verses from Romans through Revelations. Now that means that you all could have read Romans through, you could probably read different things in the Bible, the whole, whole, most of the New Testament. You see, most of the New Testament. The New Testament has about 7,000, I think about 7,900, something like that. Um, uh, you could, in, in, in two and a half weeks, they could read all the New Testament. You know? Do you know that, yeah, they could do it in one week. Do you, do you know that, because um, didn't they do it in one week? Okay, okay, seven days to read it, okay, and which is a week. Okay, and I'm thinking they read 3,000 in seven days. Then uh, you put another seven days to it. That's how many? 6,600. Then you put another half of it. It's 7,000. Now you'll be, oh, my goodness gracious. You know, do you know that the whole Bible is about 31,100 and some scriptures? You know, in just two months and a half, y'all could read a whole Bible. <laughs> During your summer break. You know? And they could. They can. The whole Bible. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I said, I'm going I'm to ask the congregation first now. I'm going to ask the congregation. Would they um, join me in challenging our, you know, American Heritage Girls and Royal Rangers boys our, you know, teenagers, our youth, our JY youth. They call it JY youth, right? Okay. Uh, Jesus youth, okay. Uh, challenge them to read the Bible from June through August. June, July, August. Three months. The entire Bible. Anybody who, out of the youth group, American Heritage Girls, Royal Rangers, that we would give them money. How much do you think it would be worth? Uh, well, about 
Could you buy something for fifty dollars? You wouldn't want fifty dollars though, would you? Is it, is it worth doing it for fifty dollars? If it's not, I'll, I'll up it. <laughs> Isn't she sweet? She said. She said. She said. It's enough. See her. Her father just said, "Up, up it." <laughs> well, uh, would y'all help me with that? Cause see, some of these teenagers. I mean, they, they might do this thing. You know. <laughs> would, would y'all would y'all help us do this thing? Okay. I thought about a hundred, but I said, well, they can't do they can't use a hundred. The parents are not gonna let them spend a hundred on clothes and stuff like that. So I said, the parent the parents if they if they get fifty dollars, you can't touch it. Okay, you can't touch the fifty dollars. And and we're gonna we're gonna do that. Okay? We'll do that for you. Okay, now if you if that's not enough, you tell me I'll, I'll go I go to the hundred. Uh, what do you think, Celeste? Huh? That's fine? Okay. Let's give my hand. I have, um, I have something for you because this is a gift that um, uh, they, here's, here's your gift here. See, they won, so they get a gift from the American Heritage Girls, and uh, I think it's, a, uh, I don't know how much money it is, I don't know what it is, but uh, it's, they told me to give you that, okay? <laughs> All right? Okay. Give them a hand again, okay? Give them a hand. Praise God. We have to really encourage our youth, don't we? Because encourage them. And do you realize it'll be worth really a hundred dollars if, if each one got a hundred dollars for them to read the Bible in the summer break? Do you know that? There's six six books. Can you imagine? Now I'm not talking about just you know. I'm talking about reading it. I'm talking about reading it. You know. Do you realize what they have in them? It'll be just like these seeds that we did. And the soil is fertile, and what we did is, is, is did what we did exactly what they told us to do, put it in a dark place for a couple of days, and when the growth starts, then move it to the sunlight. And that's what we did, and um, it grew. So God says that if you plant this word in your children, if, you, uh, if you're a good example to them, if you're working with them, gentle with them, not, not overbearing and things like that, then it's going to grow. And even when they are old, they will not depart from it. And, and I tell you, uh, I like, even when they're old, they'll not depart from them because I like they're not going to depart. I like, I like that. But I do know, even if they do, they'll come back. I do know that. And so that's a, that's a good thing. So uh, what I wanted to do at this point is read uh, a few things from someone because I thought that it's very important for you to know that some people have a lot of kids, that, and, and I know that if some of you don't have this many kids. This is a lady, of course, I talked about uh, about four or five years ago, named Susanna Wesley. And she was in, a, in the 17th century, century back there in those days. And her father was a preacher. Um, Susanna was the youngest of 25 children. 25 children. She was the youngest. And that seems to be, of course, that's, that's, that's a lot of people, you know. <laughs> that's a lot of people in this household, you know. <laughs> now, she was from a large family. Now, well, she, she gave birth to 19 children, okay, 19, in, in, including two sets of, tw- of twins. Now, 
unfortunately, that um, uh, the children born to them, 10 survived to adulthood. So she had nine children to die. So you know she could have had um, bad thoughts about God, why he let this happen, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, but she didn't, okay? She didn't. Uh, what she did, she, she had uh, three sons and seven daughters that survived. And in spite of their poor financial condition, it says, three of the sons earned MAs from Oxford, and three were ordained in the Church of England. And the eldest, Samuel Jr., uh, became a teacher at Westminster in London. A fire uh, burned down their rectory in 15 minutes, burned the whole thing down. And then they rebuilt it. And when that happened, uh, John and, and Charles, John was five, and, 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 and uh, Charles was just a babe. But uh, it says, now, after rebuilding the rectory, Susanna, more than ever, regulated home life in order to reassure her family of stability and reestablish the necessity of order and priorities uh, in which to live a useful life. The Westerners arose at 5 a.m. Each hour of the day was assigned to specific activities. She set aside an hour each day of the week for a particular child. Thursdays, for instance, was for, for John. Um, and during this hour, she would inquire after the state of their souls on his journey, as well as their progress, their fears, their expectations, their goals, and other endeavors. Now, as the children left home, uh, her daughters served as governesses, and, and they married, because they, the, the girls at that time, in the 17th century, they couldn't uh, get a formal ed education, uh, but the boys did. But John wrote back to his parent, his mother, and, and John asked if she might convert the customary hours spent in one-on-one conversation to an hour spent in writing him on various things. She, she, she wrote uh, things, meditations on, um, like commentaries, for instance, on the Apostles' Creed, on the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and things of that nature. And what she did was uh, regulated those children to the point that uh, we know that, that of course, uh, her boys, two of them, uh, they were uh, responsible for uh, John, at least, John was responsible for the Methodist movement. And Charles wrote uh, countless hymns. But this is her schedule. And I'm saying this because this is a way that we can do this thing. This is her 16 rules. Eating between meals is not allowed. Okay? As children, they ought to be in bed by 8, 8, 8 p.m. Okay? They are required to take medicine without complaining. They are to subdue their, their self-will so that they might be open to God's salvation. Teach a child to pray as soon as, as he can speak. Require all to be still during family worship. Give them nothing they cry for and only what they ask for politely. To prevent lying, punish, punish no fault which is first confessed and repented. Never allow a sinful act to go unpunished. Never punish a child twice for a single offense. Commend and reward good behavior. Any attempt to please, even if poorly performed, should be commended. 
preserve property rights, even the smallest matter in smallest matters. Strictly observe, observe all promises. Require no daughter to work before she can read well. Teach children to reverence God. Those are 16 rules. And I thought it was uh, just exciting to just know that you have to have order. You have to have order. And you have to teach your children. You have to train your children. And so this is something that we want to do because a lot of, a lot of uh, young people don't know how to train their children. And they need sometime our older uh, uh, folks in the congregation to help the younger people. And so after our children are uh, going and grown, we should be taking young people on our wings and helping them. Because that, if you know, you probably know this by now, that children sometimes respond to other people more than they respond to their parents. Okay? And so if you can find a godly couple in the church who can uh, help mentor, uh, then that will, that will greatly assist you in doing things. Now I want to uh, introduce a, a video to you, a video clip. I want to introduce that to you uh, as we go right into that Jesus died for the very thing we've been talking about, our children, our relationships. And we have to make sure that we understand this, this season of the year is a time where we need to focus on in Matthew 21. Turn there with me. Let's start in verse 1. When they had approached Jerusalem and come to Bethlehem and the Mount of Olives, when Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go in the village op- opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey there tied and a coat tied with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you say to them, the Lord has need of them, and immediately they will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a coat, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the coat, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats, most of the crowd spread their coats on the road, in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them uh, in the road. The crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, the question that they were asking, you know, who who is this? Well, um, there are questions that I want to leave with us. There, There are questions. Because in this day, we all know uh, about Palm Sunday, we've been exposed to all uh, the passion of Christ and um, those things. But I want to just impress upon you the question. They were looking for a king to come. They were looking for a warrior to come and to deliver them from the um, oppression of, of the Roman Empire. 
And what are you looking for from Jesus? Who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? You say, well, well you know, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a prophet. Uh, do you say, well, you know, he, he's, just a, he's, a, he's a teacher. What do you look for from Jesus? What do you look for? Do you look for, as some people say, fire insurance? You know, you know uh, I don't have to go there to the lake of brimstone and, and fire. I don't, have to, I don't have to go there. I don't have to go to hell. I can go to heaven now. Is that what you're looking for Jesus to do? Deliver you from hell? See, because we have to be realistic now. We're, we're being real. What are you looking for? For Jesus to do. And what, what, are you, what do you believe about Jesus? You say, well, uh, some people say, well, you know, what I want is, is to have a nice, peaceful life, and I want to live a life where um, I'm respectful of God, and so therefore I go to church on Sundays. Is that what you're looking for Jesus to do for you, to give you religion? You know, for, you want to be religious. That's all. You want to put up a nice front, say you're a Christian, you know, uh, and that's all you do. Is that what you're looking for Jesus to do for you? Or are you looking for a relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Are you looking for intimacy with him? Uh, are you looking for, uh, you know, not what he can do for you, but wh- who he is? He is King of Kings. You know, because, see, when he came, he, he came to them as a king. He was a king. Whether they received him as a king or not, he was king, but he wasn't coming the way they thought to deliver them in the natural, but he was delivering them. He delivered them because he delivered them from their sins. You know? And that's, that was harder, and much harder to do, to deliver a person from sin. Who can deliver anybody from anybody's sin? Only God can. And that's what he paid for. And that's what I wanted is for God to deliver me from sins, of course. Uh, but I also wanted a relationship that would never die. Somebody who would never leave me, never forsake me, even to the end. Somebody who, regardless of what I did, they won't, they, they won't just uh, give up on me. Because he is, he is everlasting, faithful, isn't he? And I'm looking for a relationship that gets better and better and better as we grow in him. That's what I'm looking for. What are you looking for? On this uh, occasion of, of Palm Sunday leading to, to the Resurrection Sunday, which we'll celebrate next week, I want you to think about who Jesus is to you, what he did for you, and what should your response be for him, what do you want of him? Because invariably it's going to determine what you do, your actions, what you, what you say. It's going to determine how you teach your children. It's going to determine all, all those things. And if you will ponder that during this time of year, I think you'll come out of the Easter uh, time, the Resurrection Sunday time, as a time where you were truly enriched. God really did something in your life. The Holy Spirit really touched your heart and changed your life from 
where it is now to more of where he wants it to be. Now, if you already have arrived, you're the best you ever can be, then I suggest you ask him to take you on home. <laughs> okay. Because I have a long ways to go. Would you open the doors for me? Uh, we have um, some children that um, wanted to give you uh, something that they wanted to do. Because, and, and I, I said, well, it's going to be around 12, you know, it's going to be that. Um, I know that you will wait for the children because the children are excited. They, they've, been, they, they've been excited about being a part of, the, of Palm Sunday. They want to be excited about that. So uh, we were going to do it in the middle of the message, and they asked me to wait because they had to uh, get, get the children all settled down because they're so excited. And uh, they wanted them to come in, and they said that we'd do it at the end of service. I said, okay, have them ready. When I open those doors, be there. Well, <laughs> oh, well, okay. I taught elementary school, so I know how it is. You, know, you line them up to go to the bathroom. You line them up to go to the dining hall. You line them up to go every which way. Uh, and then sometimes, Johnny, get back in line, you know. Uh, so sometimes it's like that. So they wanted to sing for you uh, and just do some things for you. So.